Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. One of the great things about getting older is watching the new generation carry the torch that we've tried to carry and that so many before us have carried in terms of strengthening marriages and families, making our communities stronger, and helping young people, especially with their mental health. And today, my guest is Smith Alley, and he's one of the new voices, one of the new generation that is uh, speaking out and helping parents and doing so much good out there in terms of helping people manage social media screens and especially the impact of pornography and the way that affects our mental health and our relationships. Smith is the founder of the Live Life Bigger Foundation. And after deciding to change the course of his life at age 14, he had faced struggles with pornography and and social media and his own mental health, even becoming suicidal. And now he speaks around the country about these issues and how to strengthen kids and families. And he also has a business called Protect Strong, where he helps parents set up their tech safely and how to spear the porn talk in the home. So he's a lacrosse player, senior in high school, and totally involved as anybody that ages in lots of different things. But he really hopes that his story and his his youthful perspective on this, who's just really living in it and right now, living in the trenches and doing this work himself, will inspire people to live a life more fulfilling, way beyond their screens. And he wants people to know how much he loves them. I, I love this kid. It was so great talking to him. He's a great young man and just had a fantastic conversation with him. And I'm just really excited for all of you to meet him. Some of you may have heard him speak. He's spoken at some conferences coalitions and other places. And he's, uh, he's just doing a lot of good out there in the world. And just really grateful to have him uh, here today on the podcast to share his message and to offer encouragement and support. So let's jump into our interview with Smith Alley. Well, welcome to the podcast, Smith. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, of course. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. It's just so great to, to talk to someone who is just in the trenches, working not only on your own personal healing, but also just working to help so many others, especially kids your age and, and their parents. You're in a really cool position to kind of be between both worlds. Yeah, I think, I mean, and this is really diving in early, but let's do, I think that it's so powerful. So for those of you listening, I'm 18 years old, a senior in high school, and I have my own foundation where I go and speak to schools and youth groups about the harmful effects of social media and pornography and a company that helps parents set up their tech safely so that they can kind of be ahead of the game. But that really is one of the, the most amazing things in my life has been like being able to touch both groups because students and youth, people that are my age, they look at me and again, they just see one of their friends or they see someone that they can relate to. But on the other hand, parents, they see their son or they see their daughter in me. 
And so I think I've been able to have a huge effect because of that. And I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's such a cool place to be. And, you know, I mean, I imagine someday you'll be on the parent side of it and have a lot of additional compassion and empathy and understanding for what it's like. And I I think that you, you know, what you're doing is just remarkable. So before we get too ahead of ourselves here, let's hear your story. I'd love for my listeners to understand where you've come from and just tell us about your journey. Yeah. So I grew up in a in a fairly normal, normal household in Bountiful, Utah. I've lived in Bountiful my whole life. I grew up in a kind of unique situation where I had four sisters and that's what happened. So I had three sisters and which makes four moms, right? Because I have my mom and then my three sisters. <laughs> and so I grew up just being parented all the time from all different ages. My, my older sisters, they'd parent me. And, you know, truth be told, I love my sisters and, and I'm so grateful that I was able to grow up in a house full of girls definitely team estrogen over here. <laughs> so I was growing up and my story really starts in, in the first grade. It was the first day of the first grade and I walked into class and I sat down at the yellow table with my friend Jackson, who I'd grown up with, and this girl named Ellie, who I knew from kindergarten. And really, I loved school. Like kindergarten was the best for me. I was, I'm a naturally pretty intelligent person. I love social situations. So I loved being able to go and like talk to my friends at school. There was this girl in my kindergarten class named Lauren, and we had gone to the zoo together. And in the back seat of her mom's minivan, she'd kissed me on the cheek. And so I was like high on life going into the first grade. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm sitting at the, the yellow table and I was just so excited to get started. And so finally, like class starts and my teacher, Miss Rooney, she comes in and starts talking and she says that we're going to introduce ourselves one by one. So kids start standing up and saying their names. And it comes to be my turn and I stood up and I got super nervous and my legs started to shake and I had a stutter when I was a little kid. But what's crazy is I didn't remember having a stutter until this day. Like this is the day in my memory when I like discovered my stutter, if that makes sense. And so I I got really nervous and I said, hi, my name's Smith. And I was just so embarrassed and I was so angry and I was so flustered. And I sat down and this girl from the table behind me, the red table, she turns to me and she looks me in the eyes and she says, why can't you talk right? And that day I kind of like distinguished that I wasn't like everyone else. And I bought into the core belief that I wasn't enough and that I was never going to make my parents proud or have friends that really cared about me. And like that was important stuff for me. I wasn't confident. I've also always been a big kid. And so I got made fun of a lot for my size. And, you know, having that belief that was really hard because I cared. I was always trying to please people. I was so prideful and I wanted people to think highly of me. But I kind of just put up a facade, which is crazy that like a first grader can put up a facade and fake how they feel. But I just showed everyone that I was okay, even though I wasn't. I got a speech therapist and I got that under control. And then life just went on, but, but I hated myself. And then I was exposed to pornography when I was nine years old, innocently exposed and I'd had all these conversations with my parents. Like my parents were the know-all in the neighborhood about pornography and what what you should do with your kids and you know what conversations you should be having, what filters you should use. They were the know-all. And so every month, once a month, on the second Monday, we'd have a pornography night where we'd talk about pornography and what we should do when we when we see it and all of this stuff and in uh, your home? Yeah, in my home. Wow. Like my mom would do this once a month, second Monday, and So I'm thinking back and like, by the way, it was so consistent that my mom would be like, okay, kids, it's Monday. It's time to have our FHE pornography night. And we'd be like, oh, mom, again, like it's been a month. Please, like, do we have to do it again? It was so consistent. 
And so I'm thinking back to everything that they taught us to to turn it off and to tell an adult. And so I I turned the tablet off immediately. And then I, I thought back to that kid in first grade who didn't believe that he was enough. And I was afraid that even though it wasn't my fault, that even though I'd been innocently exposed to this content, that my parents would think less of me or they'd be disappointed in me or something like that. And so I didn't tell them about the experience. And about a year later, when I was 10, it crept back into my life. I'd gotten an iPod. I got social media, which made porn more accessible. And then I also just started comparing myself to everyone on there. And I saw everybody on vacation or hanging out with friends when I wasn't invited. And it was really hard. And I saw these guys posting on social media and they'd like pose like this with their like washboard abs. And like I said, that wasn't me. I was just this chubby kid. And so I hated my body and I hated my situation that I was in. And I I just felt like I was never going to become that person. I felt like a fraud in my own skin because I, I would put on all these masks and it just got worse and worse. It went on this downward spiral. And then in my eighth grade shop class, I decided that I didn't want to live anymore. And growing up as a Christian, I thought that, you know, I was a bad person and I was going to go to hell just like David had. And I was just destined for hell. So let's just make it quick. And so in my eighth grade shop class, I made a plan to take my life. And it was all this plan. It was all contingent on my parents leaving for the weekend because I didn't want them to find me. And I didn't want to go through any pain to die. I just wanted to be done. And so I, I made this plan for, for when my parents left that I could just die what I thought would be peacefully and my parents wouldn't have to find me and whoever was babysitting would find me. And so I made this plan. And so I'm just kind of set on this plan, waiting for months. I'm in the eighth grade and I'm waiting for my parents, you know, every twice a year or something, they'd go on a little vacation and they'd just leave for the weekend. And so I'm waiting for this time. And I had two life-changing experiences that, that made me believe that I was worth living. And that I wasn't bad kid, but a good kid wrapped up in bad content. But still, come spring of my eighth grade year, I was severely depressed, dealing with anxiety. I was consuming pornography five to seven times a day and just doing whatever I could to numb out. Like I was so addicted to video games. I was so addicted to social media, so addicted to pornography. But I do all the little things to like keep my parents off the back, off of my back. And I do everything to please them. So like I got good grades and I was a I was an amazing athlete and I was always in like student leadership at school and I was always holding a calling in my church. And then on April 23rd, 2018, I got into a lot of trouble and my parents came and checked me out from school and I knew that it was bad and that I was in trouble when I walked out of school with my mom and my dad was in the car. He was ex-army and so things were very like ship shape and strict at our house. And so I walked out. And that day I thought my world was ending. And that day I thought, you know, all these emotions blowing up. And that night my mom came down to my room and she grabbed my face and she said, Smith, I'm going to fight for you, but you have to fight for yourself first. And that was the pivot point of my life. That was the point where I decided that I was going to become the person who I wanted to be, despite everything that my past had been, that I was going to fight to become someone that I liked. Because even at that point, I hated myself still, but I knew that I could change that. I knew that I could build someone. I could become someone who I loved, and I was going to put in all the work to do that. So then I, um, you know, I got into this path of recovery, and I got into a recovery group, and I got a therapist, and I started talking about my mental health, and I started taking all these little baby steps, like doing the little things, waking up at a good time, and immediately I'd wake up, roll off my bed, I'd pray, and then I'd do push-ups. 
And I just started doing all these little things. I took what felt like a million steps and I, I finally started feeling better. And I felt good about myself and I loved myself and like my life had never been this good. And then I finally got to this point where I knew that everyone my age, that all of my friends, that all of these kids that I, that I met, that they were struggling too. And if it wasn't with the same thing, pornography, it was with other substance abuse or anxiety, depression, eating disorders, that everyone was struggling. And I couldn't have that just be me. That was okay, you know? I couldn't just have this amazing experience and better my life and then turn around and walk away from everybody who was hurting. And so I decided one summer, I went to summer camp and I told my story to the boys that I was dorming with at the camp. And one of them just started crying and came to me and told him that he had tried, told me that he had tried to take his life two weeks prior and that he'd been struggling with the same things. And I hugged him and I took two to three hours that night to lock down his iPhone so he couldn't access porn. And then every week we'd hang out and we'd drive an hour to see each other and we'd spend time together. And I just fell in love with the feeling that I had when I watched him do the same things that I had done. And when I watched him build his life back to what he wanted it to be, it filled my heart and I just fell in love with this. And so then I started talking to like my lacrosse teammates and I started talking to all these people, just trying to help as many people as I could. And at lacrosse practice, we were like doing a, a drill one day and I just start talking about my recovery group. And, you know, these boys start asking questions and one of them comes up to me and he says, I don't know if what you're talking about is real, but if it is, I want in. And so one day after our lacrosse game, me and about six other guys, we get into a car and we drive to this pornography recovery group. And I walk in and the therapist there like smiles at me to see me. And he like waves. He's happy to see me. And I walk in and then, you know, I'm in my lacrosse uniform and all these guys just start walking in with the same uniforms on. And as each one walks in behind me, like the therapist draw, jaw drops more to the floor and he's just looking at me in <laughs> awe. And just like my first friend had, all of these boys did the same thing and they bettered themselves and they stepped into their divine potential and they got their relationships back and their connections back. And I loved it. And so I got to a point in my life, I was working at Chick-fil-A serving the Lord's chicken. Um, <laughs> As and it should I'd be. been there for about two. Yeah, I'd been there for about two and a half years. I'd started at 14. And at 16, I decided that I want to do something more fulfilling, which is crazy. That It's crazy to think that you can be more fulfilled than serving waffle fries. But I wanted to take that next step. And so I quit and I quit and I started a company called Protect Strong, helping parents set up tech. I saw this huge gap where my parents' generation, they're the only generation to ever live on this earth that won't grow up with technology, but will have to parent kids who do. And so I saw this huge gap and I wanted to help span that, especially being an, a porn addict where I had gone through all of my parents' filters and I knew every way around. I wanted to flip that around and help parents set it up safely. And so I started doing that and I fell in love with it. Like I told you guys, I met Colin Karshner and I started working with him. And then in early 2021, January, I, I founded my nonprofit, the Live Life Bigger Foundation. And I've been speaking to schools and youth groups ever since, just being heavily involved in helping parents get the resources that they need to parent with confidence, and then also inspiring teens and giving them the tools that they need to become the next great generation. Because I, I really think we have the capacity to be that, but we just need the tools and we need the motivation to become 
And so trying to do that, spreading a lot of awareness about addiction and mental health. Right now we're working on a suicide prevention concert up at Weber State in Ogden. And so we'll have 8,000 people there. We're hiring a few bands. We're bringing in mental health resources and addiction recovery resources so people can come, have a good time, and get help. And so that's my story. That's where I've been. It sounds like a lot for 18 years, but it's been packed. And I've honestly just loved it. And I've looked, I've looked back so many times at my life and all the pain that I felt and just feeling like I didn't belong and feeling like a stranger in my own house and feeling like a fraud in my own skin. And I looked back at all that pain and I do that a lot recently and never have I ever wished that I could go back and take it, take it away because it has taught me so much. And I have learned so many lessons that I will never forget because I had to go through all of that. And I'm eternally grateful for it. And I'm eternally grateful for the for the platform that it's given me to help other people and to be able to keep many young kids from going down the path that I was on. And so I, I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it, first of mm-hmm. all, with us and with our audience and with so many people. You could have definitely chosen to stay in hiding and just keep being a giant performance. Yeah. For me, and I thought about that, it wasn't an option for me to hide and it wasn't an option for me to to stay away. And I realized that I was 16 and my parents said that if I wanted to get my driver's license, I had to be an Eagle Scout. And I was like, oh, mom, I don't want to paint a bench. I don't want to plant some trees. I want to do something that that's meaningful to me and that I'm passionate about. And so I put on, I decided that I was going to put on a, a fireside for my community about the harmful effects of social media and pornography. And I got my therapist to commit to speaking. And my mom was like, all right, great. You have it all planned. Now you need to get people there. So how are you going to do that? And I came to her and I had written this email just with my story. And I hadn't really been open with a large group of people before then. And I came to her and I'm like, mom, I want to send this out to everyone we know. And I want to send this to all the churches and have them send it out. And it was it was just everything. It was a big overview of everything that I'd gone through in my life. Oh, wow. And she looked at me and she said, Smith, you can't take this back. If you do this, you can't take it back. And she tells that story a lot, especially when we do speaking events together, because she was scared for me, right? She was scared of the repercussions that would happen because of that. But for me, it just, there was no choice. It was something I had to do. And I knew that if I, if I didn't do it, if I didn't step into that light, and if I didn't start sharing my story, that I'd regret it for the rest of my life. And so I looked at her and I said, yeah, mom, I know it'll be okay. And then it was sent out to like over a thousand people. We had such a big turnout at that event. I shared my story with them and that just kind of catapulted what I was doing. But there really wasn't an option for me right? because right. I was, and day in and day out, I was seeing these kids, you know, I'm in high school. I go to these kids and I see everybody, how everybody's insecure and nobody knows who they really are. And I'm seeing all of that happen in real life. And I couldn't just like turn a blind eye and be like, okay, now I'm okay. I've been healed. I'm in a better place now. But the rest of you guys, like, good luck. Have fun on your own. I just couldn't do that. Yeah. So many, so many people that I've talked to over the years, and I've experienced this in my own life where there's that moment of like, am I going to just get real and get honest and tell the truth? Or am I just going to keep going down this path of pretending or just protecting myself? 
And for you, it was like the tipping point was, I mean, let me ask you, like for you, what tipped you over into that place? I mean, was it seeing everybody else and seeing where you had come from in terms of just being willing to just take it? Because, you know, public speaking is not for everyone, but telling the truth and being open and honest about your story, like what was the tipping point for you where you were like, okay, I need to get honest about this? Yeah, I mean, I got really interested in the organization Fight the New Drug and I, I listened to the podcast with Terry Crews on it and how he, he just talked about pornography. And I just realized that there's so much more power in numbers. And I'd go to this recovery group and on the wall, we just write quotes with Sharpie markers. And I was sitting there one day and we were going around asking each other questions. And I was looking at the wall and one of the quotes just jumped out at me and it says, and I still quote it almost every single time, anytime I speak. And it says, addiction is grown in solitude and destroyed in community. And I think that's like, that was the moment that not only did I need to find, you know, I'd already found this community, this recovery group, my family, I'd kind of made my own community, but I needed to build a community for other people, for people that needed help. And that was the tipping point is when I realized that what other people had done for me, you know, this recovery group, they had built these services for people like me. And I needed to do that for other people so that they could get the help, so that they could feel safe. And I think that's what was the tipping point for me. Right. Just recognizing that this was more than just, that this was not something that you could do alone and that others could, couldn't do it alone. And that you, you had the opportunity here to create a space to bridge people into community. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about, I mean, it was your parents that like caught you. Like, is that, is that kind of how this, all this came out? Like, well, and I'll share, you know, I don't usually bring it up myself just because I've decided that it's in my past and I'm over that and I'm in the future, yeah. but yeah, I have no problem with sharing. So when I was in eighth grade, I kind of got, I got involved with the police and basically my parents got a call from the police on, on that day, April 23rd. And they had contacted my parents about this. And so that's how they found out. Like, I always tell people, I wish that I were strong enough to, to have told my parents, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was too weak and I was too prideful to tell them about what I was going through. And so it took this, this event that, you know, I saw the repercussions of months later when I'm applying, not even months, years later when I'm applying to college and all of these things. So that's really what brought that out. And that's what kind of shined the light on everything because, you know, it kind of, there was a spotlight on what had happened and why I was in trouble. But then it was like, okay, well, what led you to do it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And pornography and mental health problems and all of this stuff that had stacked Mm up. And so it, it was all of that. And I've told people, and I've told my parents a million times that there was nothing that they could have done to make me come out about that myself. Like, I was honestly on the path where I was either going to end up dead or in jail. And the fact that I was saved by this scenario, once again, like my parents and I thought that it was the worst day of our lives, but looking back on it, it was the best day that has ever happened because finally we saw who and what we were fighting. We saw those things and we could put a finger on it and we could go and we could do what we needed to do to fix it. Yeah. I love that you, you share that part of your story and I'm curious since your most of your instincts early on were just to to stay in hiding, and then you had, like you said, the opportunity of kind of having everything blown open, 
and it really changed your trajectory. So now that you've made deliberate attempts to live your story out in the open, can you talk to us about currently what you do on a regular basis to stay living honest, even when you're not telling your story, just just as a human being to stay in that healthy place of being open and willing and, and honest about real things? Yeah. I mean, there's so much. I've been going to my, my recovery group for four years now. And just having that honest community where I can tell those boys that are there and that therapist anything, having a therapist doing that regularly. I saw something the other day and it said, I was walking past my my husband's office when he was, and he was on a big meeting with a, a marketing agency. And so casually he said, I have to go, I have my therapy appointment. And like just being honest about that. And I continue to go to a therapist even when I feel good. And even when I'm happy, I go to the therapist because I express my feelings about that. And that helps me. I have a lot of like, I call it habit building and goal oriented journaling. And so I, I do this, this tactic called mindful journaling. And each letter of mindful stands for a goal that I have to complete each day. And that's really helped me just having these goals of like the M is ministering. So every day I serve someone, the I is intellect. So every day I do something intentionally to to get me smarter and to to build my intellect and the n is a no goal so every day i do something to change something that i don't like about myself so it might be like i'm not going to leave my house without my my room clean or i'm not going to leave my house without doing the dishes something like that the d is for divine connection and so every day i make a goal to connect with god the f is fitness so every day i i work out the u is understanding emotion so I give myself time alone with no distractions to think, to feel my emotions, and to have these thoughts. And then the L is letters. So I write a letter either to my future self, to my younger self, to my future spouse, to God, from God to me, a ton of different letters like that. And I think it just gives a, a big perspective of what I'm dealing with. And so I do things like that. Just having open connection, like a huge thing that me and my family had to learn is like, we weren't very touchy feely when I was growing up. Like I said, my dad was in the army. I didn't see him cry until that day on April 23rd, 2018. And so we just like opened up that communication in our home and like realized that it's okay to be hurt. The other thing is while I was going through all of this, my sister was also struggling. My older sister, she was struggling with some substance abuse and depression, like severe depression and anxiety. And so it was kind of a big wake up call for our whole family, just that like, we're not okay. And even though we push off and we put off this energy and this, you know, we show people that we're, we're fine and, you know, we're the alleys and we're good at sports and we're always at church every Sunday and we're on time and we we're even early and we <laughs> listen to the prelude music, you know, even though we put off like that thing, we're not okay. And that's, that's what we've taken into our whole lives. And that's why we share my story. And that's why my mom is ultra vulnerable at all of these speaking engagements and online about our story. And we realize like, hey, we fail all the time and we're going to share it. And that's what's going to help people. And so I think there's a ton of stuff that I do every day, but ultimately just just living in honesty and, you know, not hiding anymore. Because for me, I looked back and I was like, well, fear and hiding from all these things, keeping secrets 
that almost led to my demise. And that almost led to me dying. Like that almost led to my death. And so it just can't happen anymore. Yeah. And I can't imagine the world without this voice. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that you chose life and that you chose openness. And I'm guessing that has a lot to do with the Live Life Bigger idea, which is the name of your foundation. But is that what this is for you? Living life bigger, like open? Yeah. I mean, it takes, we put so much context behind this. And, you know, not only is it living more openly, but it's it's living with with bigger connection and with more love and everything like that. And so I think that living life bigger is living a life beyond your screen. It's living a life beyond addiction. It's living a life with big relationships and big connections there so that you can become better. But honestly, just I think like doing the things that you've always wanted to do and becoming the person that you've always wanted to be, that's what it's about. Yeah. It's like growth. I mean, I think about what addiction and and like even social media and screens and just isolation, it just shrinks everything, just makes you smaller and I think we've even used the phrase like, you know, quit playing so small. Like yeah. It just feels like everything just gets shrunk down to where you disappear. I mean, where, where you were like contemplating, like taking yourself completely out. And so, you know, when people are struggling with social media, comparisons, addiction, everything gets so much smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where even you, Smith, were like thinking the best solution for me to be the smallest I can be is just to not be here. Like that's how much your life was shrinking. And then the living life bigger is like not only about, it's just about expansion, about openness, connection, and just potential. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so having that bigger potential. And that's what I talk about all the time is like, there's nothing special about me. There is no, you know, I have a, a few set of skills that give me the ability to do this, to be a speaker and to run a business. Like I'm good at business, but guess what? I'm terrible at art. So if you're you're amazing at art, there is nothing that you can't do in that art realm. If that's what where your skills are, I really believe that if you put your mind to something, that there is nothing that you can't do. And that's what I've been trying to tell these kids is like they can go and they can start a business or they can paint a painting or code an app. Like you can do anything. You have this ginormous, huge potential. And I think that especially like big technology and and these addictive substances, they've really capitalized on that by diminishing that. And, you know, by making people believe that a good day is spent scrolling through social media or doing stuff like that. And it's just not true. Yeah. Well, I think you've touched on on something, which is that they might tell themselves it's a good day, but internally, it's unlikely they're really feeling like it's a good day. I mean, that's how you knew that it would matter for you to to start sharing your story and helping people see that lots of people are are struggling because there's pain and misery out there. That people mm-hmm. aren't feeling okay after a day of scrolling social media. Totally. Yeah, I think that we all put on a I think we all put on a mask and go out into the world acting like we're okay when we're not. And that comparison can be so little even just like I always make the analogy of the mom whose next door neighbor Sharon always has the perfect you know, the the kitchen's always perfectly clean and the laundry's always folded. And we put off that facade, but in reality, we're, we're dealing with stuff. And in reality, you know, we can't, we're not all perfect on all edges. There's no perfectly rounded human being that's doing well in everything in their life. And so we're all struggling with something. And I think that's just super important to remember. 
Yeah. And I, I don't know how it is for you. I mean, you, you obviously have gone to great lengths to just open up your story and talk about really potentially embarrassing things and humiliating things, but you've, you've done it from a position of, of wanting to help and be a resource. And so, but I'm, I'm guessing that you've not like had any like bad experiences with this, right? Like opening up, it's, it's probably the opposite of what you always feared would happen. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I always say it's amazing that in you know, four or five years ago, I would have paid any amount of money to keep these secrets safe with me. And now I get paid to go and talk about them. And that's amazing for me. And of course, like there's struggles and there's opposition. And at my school, there's people who make jokes about me running a nonprofit that's advocating against pornography. And I'm always like, why? Because, are, you know, are, are you watching porn, bro? You know, like, <laughs> do you need help? I have resources for you. And so, of course, there's always going to be opposition. And I've I've definitely met that. And I've definitely met people who maybe aren't working against me, but who are hiding their own secrets behind that facade yeah. of teasing, of doing those things. And I've definitely met that, but there has been an overwhelming amount of support as I've shared my story, as I've come out about everything that I struggled with. There has been so many people that have come out of the woodwork to help me, to support me, to further my mission. I have 23 volunteer employees for my foundation that work every day to spread the message, to get me into more schools, to bring me to more communities. And I think that's amazing. I think that shows that that the work that I'm doing, that you know, sharing those secrets, sharing those struggles, sharing those sorrows, that's good work. Those are good things. And I really think that that, that support shows that, that that is a result of vulnerability. Support is a result of vulnerability. And I believe that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And you know better than anybody that internal opposition is probably stronger than external opposition. So can you talk to us a little bit about how now at this point in your life, you're, you're running a business and you're working with employees and volunteers that are helping you spread a message and you've made quite a public name for yourself, which comes with a lot of pressure. Even though you're sharing a story of failure you still have to seem like a success as you're doing that. And so how do you manage those kinds of pressures? Those are just real life pressures. And so h- how do you stay grounded and honest with all of that going on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar. Like, and, and I, this is something I struggle with because oftentimes, too often, I feel like I'm putting off this, this aura that, or this vibe. I'm writing a false narrative that I'm just okay now. And that recovery is like, okay, once you've recovered, then you're just recovered and you never go back. And I get really nervous that I'm putting off that narrative. I just realized that I can't focus on, on those things that are those pressures. And so I've learned so much to be able to just like be honest about the fact that people fail, people make mistakes, but that's how we learn. And that's not what a lot of people talk about. You know, a lot of people are talking about either we make mistakes and we should just be okay with them or we should not make mistakes at all. And we should just be perfect humans. And neither are true. We're going to make mistakes because we're flawed people. What we need to do is know that those failures, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. And so I tell people all the time, like, I love doing things that I'm bad at. I love just embarrassing myself, whether it's in sports or games or anything like that, because I love to learn. And I love to take those mistakes and turn them into, into lessons. Abraham Lincoln said, I'm grateful for my struggles because without them, I would have never found my strengths. And I think that's one of the most 
the most well said things is that, you know, I'm still dealing with things every day. I still wake up every day. I look in the mirror and I see that little kid who didn't think that he was worth it. And I battle with that every single day, but I decide to push forward and I decide to go out and share a story to be vulnerable and to help people because that's what's going to help my soul and that's what's going to heal me and that's what's going to continually fill my cup because we're not ever going to be whole. There's always going to be a little hole at the bottom of our cup that's slowly leaking because we're human. That's how we're designed. We're designed to criticize ourselves, And so always filling yourself, always doing those things, helping people, serving. That's how I maintain it is I put more good in than is going out. You know, I never try to pour from an empty cup. And so I think that's one of the most important things that I've learned because that never stops. And I've told people a million times, I work with a ton of young men who, who are coming out about, you know, their struggles with pornography or who parents have just caught them. And parents will call me, these young men will call me, young women will call me that are struggling with pornography. And I always tell them the same thing. And that's, this does not end. And this battle is never over. And every single day you have to wake up and you will have to fight temptation and you will have to fight these impulses to do things that you shouldn't do. And yes, the temptations and the impulses, they might change a little, but they will still be there. But the beautiful thing is, is that you can find joy in the fight, that you can take these hardships, these things that we're all going through, and you can find joy in the fact that every day you wake up and you decide to fight them and you put your shoes on and you put your boxing gloves on and you decide that you're going to go to war that day. And I think that's what's amazing because for so long, I'd wake up and I'd just be like, okay, I'm defeated. I'm done. I'm over with. But deciding that, no, that's that's not it. I'm happy when I'm fighting. And that's what I've learned because the process really never stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And and whether that's about, you know, what how you're doing in your foundation or how you're doing in your personal life or any place, like giving yourself room to be a human and to like keep learning and keep just building and trying. I love that because nobody gets a free pass on that. Not one person. So Let's switch gears for a second, just as we wrap up here. I, I do want to talk to some of the parents because I don't have a, I don't think I have a lot of teenagers that listen to this podcast. I know I do have some, but I, mm-hmm. I really want to talk to the parents for a minute because you, you talked about your parents being like, you know, you had these porn talks every month or that they were on, you know, structured and they were like ahead of the curve and, and all this stuff. And here's their kid who is in deep, right? He's really in trouble and was even contemplating suicide. And they, they had no idea things were that bad. So you know, they've obviously like stepped up and worked hard to like support you and work with you. And it's been awesome. It sounds like they're just really just so engaged and so involved and they always have been, but this can still slip by even the most conscientious, earnest, intentional parent, right? And parents don't need to blame themselves, especially the ones that are really trying to pay attention. As long as you are intentionally being a proactive parent, you have nothing to blame yourself for. You know, a lot of these parents they become reactive. They wait until something happens to put in these guidelines and to do the things that they need to do to keep their kids safe. But what needs to happen is proactive parenting is to do it now because the average exposure for pornography, the average age of exposure for pornography is now around seven and it's just getting younger. And so it's probably not like your kid's struggling. It's probably not an if problem. It's definitely not an if problem. It's probably not a when problem. It's a now problem. And they're struggling with this stuff now. And even if you don't think it. And so do the things, join the community 
and learn what you need to do to better protect your kids. And I think that's what what's important is like, you don't need to have guilt if you're trying, but you need to try. And you need to be willing to like, again, step out there and be vulnerable and say, I need help. My kid's struggling. I'm struggling. I need resources. I need tools. I need all of this stuff. But parents aren't willing to do that. Parents just want to sit there and hope that their kids figure it out. Or they write it off as a, you know, it's the teenager phase. That's one of my least favorite things that we do as a society is write it off as that teenager fo- the teenager phase, especially for young men. Because I firmly believe that kids and humans are created for the divine purpose of being happy. And we're created to find joy and have happiness. And so if there is something wrong with your kid, if they seem off, if they're going through a phase, there's something up. They're struggling with something. And you need to figure out what that is and figure out how to help them. And the best way to do that, parents, like I understand that there is not there is not enough time in the day to pay the bills and to put food on the table and to get the laundry folded and the dishes cleaned and to make sure that your kids do their homework and to pick them up from school and to take them to soccer and basketball and baseball. There's not enough time to do all that stuff and then still keep them safe while they're on the internet. There's not enough time to do that. And so be willing to reach out and get resources. There are so many people like me who have done all the work so that you can come and you can say, here's what I have. Here's what I have done. And I'll say, okay, here's what's enough. Here's what you're doing that's good. Here's what you need to do to keep your kids safe. And the second thing is, is that you you can't save someone who doesn't want to be saved. And at the end of the day, if your child wants to access pornography, or if your child doesn't have the motivation to live life bigger, it's not going to happen. But you have to be confident and you have to be okay in your efforts. If you've done those things that you need to do, if you've gone the full extent to get all the resources that you can, you've done enough. And that's all a kid can ask for. Yeah, I agree. A lot of parents, I think, want some kind of guarantee. If I set up all the right controls, if I have the right software, if I have all the doors closed and locked and bolted, my kid will never do it. But I I love that second part, which is you're also dealing with another person who has to chart their own path. And if they want to include this in their life, and and I get that a lot of kids are stuck and, and are in a dark pit and are, but that's where a parent can step in and like your mom did, you know, grab you by the cheeks and just say, I'm here and I'll fight side by side with you, but you got to want this. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of both, isn't it? It's like the, the, I used to teach that it's like the high tech and then there's the low tech. The low tech is like the relationship. It's like the stuff that every parent knows how to do even if they don't know how to do the high-tech stuff. Totally. Yeah, and that's one of the most important things right there is being there for your kids because at the end of the day, like they're going to have to make the decision for themselves. And if they know that that you're always there, ready to help them to become the best version of themselves. And another thing, you know, before we wrap up, one more thing that I love is for parents to help their kids back plan. And to realize that, okay, where do you want to be in 30 years? Where do you want to be in 20 years? And then to get there, what do you have to do every single day to get there, right? Like if you have a son that wants to be a doctor and they're not taking any like medical anatomy classes in high school, how are you supposed to be a doctor, but you're not doing those things right now? So like back planning and helping them realize that they can become that person in the future if they're willing to do small and simple things day after day to build to that. And I think that's crucial is just letting our kids today know that they can do anything and that there's nothing that they can't do. And of course, there's going to be failures and there's going to be mistakes made along the way, but it doesn't matter because we'll learn from those and we'll get up and we'll keep fighting. There's a Chinese proverb that says, fall down seven times, stand up eight. 
And I think that as long as we can do that, as long as we can be there to support and we can be there to, again, just be alongside for the fight and be willing to get the resources and be proactive so that they're set up to be able to do anything. And all they have to do is make the choice. You know, it's harder for me to make the choice to stay away from pornography if I don't have all of those those walls and those boundaries and those restrictions and the filters set into place. But if I have all of those, it's a simple choice to make. And again, it'll be hard. There will be failures. There will be mistakes. But ultimately, it's it can be accomplished. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. I love how scrappy you are. <laughs> you just like stay with it. Well, it, there's this thing called ADHD and it, <laughs> it makes me an interesting storyteller. That's for sure. I just love the grit, the tenacity, the willingness just the willingness to just keep working at this and get back up, try again, try something else, keep speaking, keep trying, letting it be messy. Mm -hmm. And this is really hopeful message that you don't have to let your world close in on you, that you are made for something and you need to just keep trying and opening up and and taking risks and being open and like progressing. And that's such a critical message because all the comparisons and all the other stuff can make kids and even adults feel like, Oh, somebody else is already doing it or doing it better. Or like there's, I have no purpose and it's just not true. It's just not true. Like your voice and how you're showing up even here on this podcast, like nobody else can do that the way you're doing it right now. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will reach a different sphere of people and a different, a, a different audience than anyone else. We all have our individual stories that will affect different people in different ways. And I think the most important thing is that we just continue to share continue to be there and show up for other people, the people that we love, even if we don't know them. I think that's crucial. And I think that's what will help a lot. And I just want to say like, for parents out there, especially parents who are raising teens right now, feel free to reach out. There are resources that you can be connected to. I'm sure information will be in the podcast description or something like that. But if you need help, of course, reach out because there are people like me who have done all of the research who have put in the hours of work so that you can have a very easy, simple setup to build a family that can have success. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely Strong put- Strong work. Yeah, we'll definitely put uh, links to the livelifebigger.org and your social media links so people can find you and, and the great work you're doing. But Smith, thank you for, for one, choosing life, choosing to grow, yes. choosing to do your work. And then as you've now done your you're in the middle of your work. You're still obviously working on things, but then just taking it and making it bigger, making it more available to people. It's inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn more about Smith and the great work that he's doing on his website, livelifebigger.org. You can also find him on social media. He's very active on there. And I just want to thank him for joining me. I think it's so fantastic that he's doing this work, that he's had so much courage to go out there, speak publicly about his struggles, and offer and extend hope to so many people and actual concrete resources with people who want to protect their families. And so just so grateful that he's willing to spend time with us today and share his message. And once again, I want to thank all of you for being the best part of this podcast. I just love the comments and the feedback and and the resources that I hear uh, are helping you. There are so many guests. There are so many great things that we share on this podcast. And I love to know that it's making a difference in your life. So thanks for listening. And of course, you can find me online at fromcrisistoconnection.com. And you can also find past episodes of this podcast. We've got over 130 episodes, lots of great guests, lots of great content and weekly column that I write. And then I also have a lot of online resources, courses, 
and other supports for you. So let me know how I can be of help, be a part of your solution. So grateful. And please share this podcast. Let other people know about it. Forward it on to someone who might need it. And you'll be amazed at how much of a ripple effect you can make in the lives of other people by your willingness to let other people know about good resources. I bring these guests on because I want people to know there are so many options out there. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Love being here with you every single week, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.